Good evening. It is good to have this number back out with us for our evening half of our worship service. And if you have your Bibles, be opening up with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. When we, uh, when we remember Jesus Christ, we remember the type of life that he lived as he was faithful to his heavenly Father, as, as he got his instructions from God before he left God to come to this earth to be that obedient son. He followed those instructions. He followed them to the best of his ability, and that ability was to be 100% faithful to God, which was that spot-free sacrifice for us on that cross. So as he was faithful, we need to remember just how faithful he really was. We look at his lifestyle, we look at the, the way that he taught, and the folks who spat in his face, slapped him in the face, and cursed him, talked down to him. He didn't let none of that bother him. He continued to remain faithful to his father. Now we need to measure ourselves up with that. Christ being our cornerstone. He's the one where, again, we're supposed to measure ourselves up with continuously. Every day. For as he was faithful, so as we also should be faithful as well. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, talks about Christ being faithful. Talks about that faithful son that he was. So as we read the first six verses, and it spools up for us in the seventh verse, is where our lesson starts. <coughs> Excuse me. Chapter 3, verse 1 of Hebrews. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling... Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ, as a son, over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm to the end. Now this is the precursor, or gets our minds in such a way for this lesson this, this evening. For as Christ was holy, for as Christ was faithful, so must we as be as well. Notice what Christ, what uh, the writer of Hebrews says in verse 6. But Christ as a son over his own house. That's the church. That's those faithful observance of God's word. Faithful observance of Christ's instructions for people today. Whose house we are if, oh, there's a choice. There's requirements. Now, I know there's teaching out there. I know that there's instructions out there that God's just going to save everybody. For as Christ died on the cross, he died for all sin. He, he died for our sins to be remitted. Requires actions on our part. Therefore, if we're living in sin, abiding in sin, that sacrifice means nothing to us if we're living in sin. But notice here it says if, whose house we are, those obedient children, we are if we hold fast the confidence 
and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. You might ask, wait a minute. I'm going to eventually get rid of that cough. What type of hope of rejoicing, what type of confidence are we talking about? Okay. Well, let's turn uh, to 1 John real quick. Keep your finger there in Hebrews chapter 3. So as we turn over to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, and as I mentioned that verse, some of you all may already know that verse by heart. But as we turn there to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Now keep in mind, this is the pen from John. And he says this, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, whose house we are in Hebrews, those who believe in the name of the Son of, the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. That's that confidence. That's that thing we should hold fast to. That's our hope. If we hold that firm to the end, what end might you ask? The last breath we breathe. Revelations 2.10 Be you faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And that's Jesus Christ's promise to us. We're that house. Christ is over that house. Now you might think, all oh, the church is that building down here. It's not. This is just a house of comfort. This is just a place where we can come and worship our Heavenly Father and be comfortable. We could do it outside right now. We don't think too many folks to be out there tonight. The wind's really rip, ripping it up out there. It's cold. Aren't we thankful to have a house of comfort to worship our Heavenly Father? But that house that we're talking about here in verse 6 that that the writer of Hebrews is talking about is the church. Are we holding that confidence? Are we holding on to that hope continuously, steadfastly? I seriously hope so. Verse 7 says, therefore, the very first word, therefore. That's the reason what this is there for. For as we are encouraged by the writer of John, or excuse me, the the pen from John and the writer of Hebrews were encouraged with that idea of hope. We're encouraged with the idea of salvation. <coughs> but it requires action on our part. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of the trial in the wilderness where your fathers, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years, therefore I was angry with that generation, and said they always go astray in their hearts, as they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Remember back in the days of Israel, and they was led out of captivity, out of Egypt, and they was cast out into the wilderness, and they spent their days in the wilderness. And yes, they fought tooth and nail. Every time that hardships came, every time little, little things came along, well, look where we are now. We were so much better here, but they, they, they lost sight so easily. God seen that. God took notice of these things. So here in verse 11... We're referring, <laughs> excuse me, referring back to, um, where did I go? 
Psalms 95 and 7, it is sworn to his wrath that it shall not enter into his rest. There exists a rest from God. So as we show God wrath, we don't need to let the sun set on that wrath, but so many folks today show wrath toward God. And again, you reap what you sow, right? So as we sow wrath, we should expect to reap wrath and not rest. But there exists a rest. As we continue reading on in verse 12. <clears throat> Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. <clears throat> so when we back up, when we see in verse 8, do not harden your hearts as in the day of the rebellion, as we hear his voice. <coughs> Excuse me again. We do realize the gospel affects people in two ways, as we've made mention many times in here. It affects folks' hearts in two ways. It either hardens it, softens it. The psalmist has encouraged us to not harden our hearts. Because as we harden our hearts, it's displeasing in the eyes of God, and he swore against us that we're not going to enter into his rest because of our hardened hearts. We're encouraged to soften our hearts. Hear God's instructions, what he'll have us to do, and soften it. Look at Christ and his example. He could have come to this world and done anything he wanted to because he was God. He was one-third God, but he was obedient to his Father's commands for you. He was obedient to his Father's commands for me. He was obedient to his Father's commands for every person who was ever going to live upon this earth. Why? So we may have an opportunity of salvation. That's how much Christ loved us. He was obedient to his followers, so as we must be obedient, that cornerstone, the person who we follow, for as his commands force us to take up our cross and follow him. And that's not just stepping in his footsteps. It's following his examples. The way that he lived, which is the way that we should live ourselves. So don't harden your hearts. Don't have an evil heart of unbelief. You notice in verse 12 what that, what that evil heart of unbelief, unbelief results in. Departing from the living God. There is another departing that happens whenever we decide to sin, when we decide to fall short and not get forgiveness of it through repentance. Separation. Separation happens between those who once loved God enough to be immersed or baptized for the remission of their sins, and that separation happens for our sins and our iniquities separates us from our God. With that evil heart of unbelief or that hardened heart that happens in so many folks today, we depart from the living God. And there is a, there's another example of this departing, and it's an everlasting departing. That word depart comes to mind. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. That's going to be sad to hear one day. For as Christ himself, he says that in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, that example, that lesson there, that not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, just like Christ done his Father's will, so must we today be doing the Father's will. Or else we're not going to enter into the kingdom. Or else we're going to be departed. Verse 23 says, For I will declare unto them that day, those who don't do the will of his Father in heaven, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. That would be so terrifying to stand before God knowing I'm going to hear that. That would be terrifying. Terrifying to expect the wrath of God. This is the person, the being, who was able to destroy continents, who was able to destroy cities where can anything exile or, or it, it be built or grown. It's, it's destroyed utterly. <coughs> Or the being that destroyed and changed the entire face of the earth. The flood. Changed everything. Do you know why the flood was sent upon the earth? The wickedness of hearts of men's. You and I. Ladies, you're included. God seen that wickedness. He repented God. He was sorrowful that he had made man. God is also sorrowful. On that day of judgment. Where he has to tell his creation. Depart from it. We have an opportunity today to not hear that. We have an opportunity to change our ways. And to say I don't want to be in that outcome. That terrifies me. What must I do? Be faithful. Be faithful. Verse 13. But exhort one another. Don't have that evil heart of unbelief. Don't depart from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Again, right back to the thought or our commands of not letting the sun set on our wrath to God. Exhort one another. Do you know what the term exhort one another? It means to lift up. It means to encourage. It means to exonerate it means to lift one another we'll lift one another up when the times of lowliness and you know just as good as i do or just as well as i do that we have lowly times in our spirituality we do we're human beings that lowliness time happens and it's our church members duty to lift one another up because we exhort one another we're not having that evil heart of separation, or excuse me, of evil heart of disbelief. And we're not fooled or by the deceitfulness of sin. Because that's what sin does to us. It destroys us. The word deceit. A being comes into mind. I hope he came into mind as well. That he loved to use the tool of deceit. Satan. He loves it. Oldest trick in the book. He deceived Adam and Eve, did he not? He deceived them into thinking, well, we might not die. Because when he added that one word, N-O-T, through God's instructions, for God told them, in the day of you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. And he meant it. God meant that instruction, that command, that rebuke, and don't partake of it. That knowledge, that fruit of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the only thing they have to do. Just don't partake of that fruit. Oh, Satan says, oh, he don't know what he's talking about. 
You're not going to die. He says, from the day you take of that fruit, you shall surely not die. He, N-O-T. Introduced sin. For what did Adam and Eve do? Partook of it. And what happened? Their eyes were opened. They recognized they were naked. Fashioned themselves closed. And when they heard the voice of God walking in the cool of the evening, they hid themselves. Why would they hide themselves? Because they knew what they had done was wrong. Just as today, when we realize we have sinned, when we have disobeyed God, you know it, I know it, and let me encourage you through the instructions of God, that sin will destroy you. Just as that one sin destroyed Adam and Eve. They died. They separated, cast out of the garden. No one ever to return. In verse 14, For we have become partakers of Christ if, oh, there's choice again, requirements, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Verse 14. Can you, can you remember the sermon when encouraged you to be immersed or baptized, baptized for the remission of your sins? Do you remember that sermon? This in your mind is this the topic or whatever was said? Do you, does it pop into your mind? I know it's been a, a few minutes ago, right, for a few folks. <laughs> now, why don't you remember? Because it wasn't just one sermon. It was many over and over being taught what you should do, being encouraged of what you should do. I says, hey, you know where I'm at is wrong, and I need God. I need forgiveness of my sins. And now through this instruction of all these lessons, I know what I must do. Then, when you was immersed, raised up a brand new creation, a Christian, or a disciple of Christ, or a child of God, once you became that, you became just like Christ. Just like Him. Romans chapter 8 speaks of that joint heirs with Christ. Therefore, just as where Christ is, so shall we be as well. The we being those who hold our confidence, that instruction, that encouragement that we got in the beginning of our spiritual walk, that confidence enough to stand up before our peers and to get remission of our sins, to have them washed away. That confidence. We hold that confidence to the end. We'll be just like Christ. We'll see him just in, in his glory. And we'll join him in that glory. Be able to see the new, the new heavens, the new earth, the new Zion, and so many other references to heaven. The salvation from the vault. And in verse 15, <coughs> excuse me. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Here we see it twice. We see it in verse uh, 7 and 8. The idea of hearing God's voice, hearing his commands, hearing his instructions. And like I said, his gospel affects folks in two different ways. Well, let's look at the hardness of men. 
That when, when mankind hears God's word and says, you know what, I, I don't think I believe that too much, and I'm just going to harden my heart, I'm going to not change, I'm not going to have anything to do with that church that you go to. And I've heard that before. And that's sad. Hearing God's instructions and someone rebuking it. Going their own way. Satan loves it. He loves it. Why? Because misery loves company. And this we're talking about a being who's going to be misery in misery forever. When the day of judgment happens. There's no overturning. There's no changing his outcome. It's sealed. And he wants so many people with him. And that hardness of hearts, that rebuking of God's word, and that turning away from it, never to become spiritually minded, walking this earth just as anybody else would have walked but God or Christ. Behaving in an ungodly manner. The opposite of being holy or faithful to God. The opposite of it. Well, we know the outcome of that. You might say, well, what is the outcome of that? Depart from me, you workers of... The word iniquity comes to mind. Depart from me. No salvation from the fall. Enduring the fall. Having to go through the fall. Fall. You keep using the mention fall, Jeremy. What are you talking about fall? Damnation. Hellfire. The lake of fire which fought with, uh, burns with fire and brimstone. The second death. Folks, I don't know about you, but I don't want to die once. Because many of us have had, had to endure uh, funerals and the loss of loved ones. <clears throat> We've had to endure that. And it's sad because that person's not here anymore. I don't want to do that once. I'm thankful we have an opportunity to not harden our hearts. Now let's look at the softened heart. Someone who hears God's Word. Someone who receives it openly. It receives that good ground, that soft heart that's ready to change and give up the, the sin of the world and no longer want to participate in the ungodly acts of this world. Someone ready to follow Christ. Someone ready to put Him on. Change their ways. And be obedient to God because He offers something wonderful. Salvation. Everlasting life. No pain, no suffering, no death. I say that often because we need to keep it fresh into our minds of what God promises. We can have, high, we can have hope in that. If, if we are a child of God. That being said, we've put Christ on through baptism. Galatians 3, 27. Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized is saved. He who does not believe is condemned already. Let's make sure we believe. Let's make sure we're baptized for the remission of our sins. And let's hold fast that confidence and be faithful. Just as Christ Himself was faithful. So that soft heart can do much good in this earth. And so much more good in the next. So we mentioned rest. So we, we did mention rest about God's rest and he's, he's sworn to his rest. So verses 16 to the end of the chapter in verse 19. And then we're going to move over to chapter 4 and verse 1. So let's read real quick verses 16 through 19. 
<coughs> Excuse me. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom he was not angry forty years and was not with those who had sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter into his rest, but those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. He swore to his wrath, he shall not enter in because of dis disbelief. Their, their lack of belief, their lack of obedience, their lack of confidence in God. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Now this is not a fear we want to crawl under rock. This is not a fear we just, I ain't touching it. This ain't the type of fear that you would have like with a snake or a spider or something like that. That's not the type of fear that this is talking about. This is having reverence. This is having respect. A fear of the opposite of salvation. The fear of damnation. That type of fear. That fear is a godly fear. So when we have that godly fear and we're ready to be obedient to God's commands, we're ready to do His will just as His only begotten Son has already done by being faithful, by telling Satan, I want nothing to do with you. Let's make sure we don't come short of that. But the idea of coming short, that's letting sin enter into our lives. That's our will, it's our mean, it's our motivation to not sin in this world. Unfortunately, we do. Unfortunately, we, we come short, we fall, and, and we allow sin and iniquity to come in. We have an opportunity. We have an opportunity tonight to, sell, to tell Satan, get behind me. I want nothing to do with you, for you can't promise me one thing. When we sin, when we fall short... That's exactly what we're doing. We're going by the wayside. We're going hand in hand with him. Let's tell him to go away. Let's draw near to God. In doing so, we repent of our sins. We turn away from those things that separated us from our God. From our four iniquities, we'll do so. So tonight, I want to encourage something. I want to encourage repentance. I want to encourage a turning away from Satan and turning toward God. I can't force you. I can just encourage you. And I can pray for you. So tonight, as we have assembled, we have an opportunity to say, I'm ready to come back to God. Every one of us in here in this audience have been baptized for the remission of sins. And if you're listening to this and you are encouraged to be immersed, please do so. Do not wait. Do not tarry. Make it now. Because as we wait, as we tarry, we don't know when Christ is coming. And we don't know when we're going to breathe our last. Because every day is a gift. And tomorrow is not promised. So why wait? Tell Satan, I want nothing to do with you. Draw near to God and Satan will flee from you. Let's make him flee tonight. Let's, let's send him tail tucked, if you will, and come back to God. Does that need to happen through baptism or does that need to happen through repentance? Are you an erring child of God ready to come back? Why don't we make it right as we come forward, as we sing the song of invitation?